of Luke 14, if you guys want to start turning your Bibles there. Before we get into the verses, I just want to set up a little bit of context on where we're at in Luke 14. I think that's real crucial when you're preaching the Gospels and we're talking about Jesus. Is We need to learn where Jesus is at. And so, picking up from the beginning of Luke 14, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees and he's telling this story about a man who's having this huge supper and he invites all these high-class people, but when he goes out and he's inviting all these people, they all have an excuse. All the people that are invited to the supper, they all have excuses, every single one of them. And this is just going to tee up. I promise it's important. I'll tie it in in a second. But when we come down to verse 18, 14, 18, and they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have, a, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now this is not exactly where I'm preaching out of, but I just want to tee up right here. And we're just taking note that all these people have excuses, that there's a reason that they can't be at this supper that this parable is about. And we learn at the end that the king goes out, and he invites everyone off the streets instead of them since they won't come. And that's who comes into the supper. And at the end, for I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. After this, we see the context of where our passage is going to be in verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them. So this is when Jesus starts speaking. He's speaking to the multitude. We got a picture where Jesus is at. And recently I had a conversation with someone who was talking about the volume of preaching they said, someone, someone shouldn't yell like that when they preach. And I was like, can you show me the passage that talks about the decibels of Jesus' voice or Paul's voice in the Bible? And they're like, you know what, you're right. There isn't any. But we can assume that he's preaching, right? He's screaming out to the masses. When you've got that many people, I can't whisper down here because you're not going to hear it. And they didn't have microphones. I hope you know that. If you don't, get a Bible, read it. I don't know. Good luck. So over here, what we're going to start is verse 28 to 30. These are my three verses. I'm going to read the text, and then we can pray and get into it. So, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Brother Aaron Gilbert. You want to open us up in a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for uh, giving Billy the opportunity to open your word and show us something that, Lord, that we can reflect on and not only just reflect on, but also put into our lives daily. Lord, I know that's a struggle, but uh, God, we just trust that you will uh, perfect us more into the image of your son. And we just ask that tonight, that uh, you give Billy the word to speak. Amen. Thank you, sir. All right, so right here in this passage, we know Jesus is speaking to a bunch of Jews, and at this time, the Jews are relying on their adherence to the law in order to gain salvation, right? In order to finish what they've started, they're counting on their own faithfulness. They haven't been revealed the mystery of Jesus because Jesus has not yet been accepted, right? Or neglected in this case. So what we need to understand is the Jews are counting on what they can do in their own righteousness. Well, we know from earlier in the Bible in Isaiah that 
Our righteousness is as filthy rags. But they didn't know that, and that's what Jesus is trying to get across to these people. And something very crucial to the context of this verse is this verse is in between verse 27 and 33. 27 saying, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 33 is very similar. It says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. So we know clearly that Jesus is talking about discipleship here. Right? He's talking about picking up your cross and following him. And you hear that nowadays all the time. Everyone's like, I'm bearing my cross, my cross. And they're just talking about the struggles of life. But we're talking about something a little bit more serious here. And the first context I want to hit on this point or this story is the context of this house that's being built is salvation. When we count the cost, we realize that we don't have what it takes. Our righteousness isn't enough to make it to God's level, right? To everlasting life. We all know we're condemned to hell for our actions. My righteousness isn't going to get me there. But the only way that I can know that is when I evaluate myself. And any safe person in here has came to that spot where they started counting the cost. And they realized they didn't have what it took to finish that building. Every single person in here who has encountered that has made that realization and something that we need to understand, and I think Brother Ben talked about this on Sunday. It's funny seeing the verses cross. But over here, Paul's talking about in Philippians, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has got to be the one that does it. He's got to be the one that builds that house. He's got to be the one that we count on. And every single person, when they come to salvation, that's where they were. For me, this was back in September of... 2020, I was kind of in the midst of a bunch of trouble. COVID ended. I feel like everyone had problems with that. But me personally, I was going through my first breakup, some family stuff, a new job, and I was real confused. This was the first time I had just dropped out of college, and I was trying to figure out what's the point of all this. What am, what am I living for? What am I doing? It's the first time I ever really stopped to count the costs and see... Did I have this figured out? Did I, did I know what I was doing? And like I said, if you're saved, you've been there. And if you're not, I'm sure you've been there, but you didn't get saved. So where I was is I was looking for something greater than me because I realized through reading philosophy books, through studying religion, that I had went to the end of it all and still saw that it was on me. And I knew that I couldn't do it. I knew I, knew I wasn't sufficient. So I needed something that excluded me from the equation. I needed something greater than me. Right? And so I'm looking, and after getting out of the breakup, I am heard about God. I heard about Christianity. I didn't go to church. I didn't grow up in church. And I was wondering, you know, is, is this it? Is this the real deal? Is this the thing? I, it, it's everywhere. I mean, you drive anywhere, and you see a church on every corner. If this guy died 2,000 years ago, I mean, there's got to be something to that, right? I mean, Christmas has to do with Jesus. Easter has to do with Jesus. The time we tell by has to do with Jesus. The barber shops, I don't know, I'm sure Mike has mentioned it, the barber shops with the little spiral going up has to do with Jesus. Every single thing, everywhere you look, has to do with Jesus. So there's got to be something to that, right? That's got to hold some sort of weight. And I realize that, and I pray, and I'm like, you know, I don't really know if this whole God thing's real. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. But Lord... If you are God, I'll give you a chance. 
I mean, I'll try it out. I don't, I don't know what to do, right? And I go, and he tells me to go to this big mega church, because it's the only church I ever heard of in my life. I didn't know any other one, really. And so I go to this huge mega church, and I walk in the back. I don't know anyone. I went that same week on that Sunday. I didn't know anyone, and I walk in the back, and I'm kind of hiding from everyone because I haven't really been there, and I'm crying like a little baby, a bunch of tears, and I'm sitting in the back seats. And through the whole message, there was no, no message of salvation, no call to receive Jesus Christ, no call to salvation, but strange enough, I just knew what to do. I didn't need that. I mean, I didn't need them. I, I just needed God to get me there. And I remember sitting in those back pews. They weren't pews, they're chairs, contemporary church. And I remember sitting in those back, back chairs and bowing my head, and I'm just crying like a little baby, but it's okay because the lights are off in those places, so you can't see me anyway. And I'm just crying out, and I'm like, God, I, I said I'd try you, and I, I just want you. I, I don't have anything else. I wasn't holding weight to anything. I wasn't counting the cost. I, I didn't count what it cost. I just said, you can have it all. That was what it says, deny everything, right? Pick up your cross, follow me. I, I had to be willing to give up everything for Jesus. And that's where exactly where I was at. That's how I made it there. That's how I got saved. And I said, I need you. I want your way. And it was some sort of salvation prayer that I got out just off of not knowing. Lord knows because he was the one that got me there. And there's something real profound that the devil knows about us in terms of counting the cost. And it's over in Job 2.4, I believe, when the devil, through the first chapter, is dealing with Job and things aren't going the way that he hoped that they would. And he says something profound about mankind because he knows you better than you know you, but God knows you better than he knows you, if, if that makes sense. I'm not sure if you get what I'm laying down. And what he said is, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath shall he give for his life. Whoa. That's still true today, just as true as it was, and that's the oldest book in your Bible, Job. And that's just, just as true today as it is then. So what does that mean? That means go get the richest man in the world, Bill Gates, Elon Musk. I don't know who it is now. I don't know. Don't keep up with it. Get them in a room. Sorry, this is a little too much. Put a gun to their head, right? And say, give me everything you got, and I'll let you live. And you know what they do? They give you everything they got. Because that stuff means nothing if they're dead. Everything they have, they give for their life, right? How come everything that we have, we don't give for our soul? I mean, people are holding on to these carnal things, right? Because you're not worried about it. Because you're not thinking about it. If everyone thought about it, if everyone thought about the cost, the cost of salvation, because the cost of salvation is free. I mean, it doesn't cost you anything, right? I know who it did cost. He already paid the price for you. And that's the part that we all miss. That's the part that's complicated when you haven't heard the gospel or you've heard it or you've heard half of it and you're not saved and you're not there is you think that it costs you something, but it doesn't. It's free. It's free. No strings attached. He already did it, right? Because he's the judge and he's the same one you're going to stand before. You have an appointment. We all have an appointment. It is appointed unto us to die once on judgment. So we all have an appointment. And the one we stand before was the one that paid it. So you got no excuse. You're inexcusable, right? The same guy that's going to judge you and condemn you is the same one that paid the price for you. And so what did he do? Well, it, did, it cost him a lot, right? I want you guys to go look at 1 Corinthians 3, 
Real quick, I know, I think I heard Kelly preach on this a little bit on Sunday. You've probably heard this passage a lot. This is gold, silver, precious stones passage. But I want you to take note of something in here in verse 11. I hear some turning on the pages. I'll let you get there. It says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the greatest foundation, right? And back in our passage, we see he's talking about building the foundation, building the house. But there's only one foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. On Christ, a solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Right? That's it. He already paid the price. And how did he pay the price? Well, we know he went to the cross, right? He was obedient, obedient unto death, even death of the cross. I mean, everything that should have happened to us happened to him, right? Holes in the hands for me touching things that I shouldn't have touched. Holes in my feet for me walking places I shouldn't have walked. Crown of thorns for me thinking thoughts I shouldn't have thought. Right? Stripped, stripped of his clothes, naked and ashamed, bearing the shame that I should have bared. Right? The father turns his face away, cut off from God. That's what I should have had. Pierced in the side to die, that's what I deserve. The wages of my sin are death, right? He paid it all. And then he came back, right? He resurrected. That's the power. That's the power of the gospel. It wasn't just that he died. What good is that? How can he intercede for us if he just died and didn't rise again, right? But now I want you to look down a bit in this 1 Corinthians passage. I want you to take note of something in verse 16. So 1 Corinthians, I'm still in 3.16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. I want you to go over a couple pages to 1 Corinthians 6, 6.19. Paul repeats the same thing. He says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. It's important enough for Paul to reiterate it, right? We understand as a saved believer the mystery of God in us, and that we are now the temple, and there's a bunch of typology in the temple. right? When you become a believer and you go back, you look in your Old Testament, when you get into a Bible-believing church, you start to realize that the Old Testament is actually pretty cool. And that the stuff that God did back there all points to something today. Even in the temple, we understand that the temple, the first thing you see when you walk into the temple is the altar of sacrifice. Right? Because that's the first way you're going to get to God is through a sacrifice. Right. right? And we know that that altar that everything's burnt on is at the same height of the mercy seat in the back, which is what holds the Ark of the Covenant. And that's in the Holy of Holies. And the only way that I'm going to get straight shot to God is through Jesus Christ. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father except by me. First thing I've got to do is look through that, those flames to get to God i got to look through the sacrifice of Jesus to get to God. And we know that inside of the temple, we got the candles, which is a type of Holy Spirit, shining light on the showbread, the 12 loaves, which is a type of the Word. Because we know the Spirit shines light on the Word. There's a bunch of typology in the, in the temple, but I want you to see something real cool. I want you to turn back to 1 Kings 5.17. And so we're going back to when Solomon's constructing the temple. And I want you to notice something. Yeah, 1 Kings 5.17. 
I hear some pages turn, and I got verse 17. And the king commanded, and they brought great stones, costly stones, huge stones, to lay the foundation of the house. This is the foundation of the temple being built. And we know that there was a great price that was paid, and it was a costly sacrifice, right? And Jesus Christ was hewed. He was cut down. We see that that sacrifice is bearing the image of us. That's in us. When we accept it, no other foundation can be laid. That's the foundation that's laid in you. That's the temple that's in you. So we see that through the finished work of Jesus Christ is how the house is built, back in our passage. Because we don't have what it takes to finish that. Now moving on from the salvational aspect of it, I want to get into a bit something more practical if you've already been saved then you already had all this stuff happen. You probably know about it a little bit. But what, is, what does this mean for us as a saved believer? Something that Schofield has in his notes, I like the way that he stated this, is God offers to the lost salvation and to the faithful service of the saved rewards. That's what we understand we're working as. And in this 1 Corinthians 3 passage that we were at, you don't have to turn back there. He's talking about gold, silver, and precious stones. He's talking about the stuff that we earn. And it's going to be tried, right? We know that we're going to get up there and the house that's built on that foundation that's Jesus Christ is going to be burned and it's going to be tested, whether it's gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. And that's a great passage on eternal security. If you don't remember that passage, you should. Because it's talking about us being saved as so by fire. That's a great passage to go to if you're trying to learn about salvation and what you earn. But we're looking at the things that we earn after we're saved as saved believers. And part of that is still counting the cost. It's still the same theme. It's counting the cost of our actions. Every time you go to buy something, you count the cost. If you're anything like me, you go to the store. It doesn't matter what store. I sometimes shop at Costco where there's a lot of stuff in bulk that I don't need. So I go to Meyer a lot, and I'll grab two packs of cheese, Pepper Jack. And I got the off-brand, and I got the main brand. Off-brand's like $3 cheaper. It's pretty no-brainer to grab that one, right? I count the cost, though. I see it. It's always easier to grab the cheaper one because I'm counting the cost, right? It's always easier to take the easier option in everything that you do. And something that we do as, say, believers is we go to witness to someone and we fear the relational equity that we have with that person, that if we really tell them where they're going, that they're going to hell, that they're on their way to hell, that they're not going to like us and that they're going to stop talking to us, right? We start counting the cost. Well, is it worth saying that to them? Is it worth telling them that? Yes, sir. Is it worth talking to them about that? I mean, I just got a new job. I'm working for a new company doing some plumbing, and these are all new guys, definitely trade guys. And I'm not sure if any of them know the Lord except for Jesse. I'm confident on that one. <laughs> and I, the first time I'm meeting these guys, you wonder... What are they going to think of me as they begin to know? And I start working the first few days. And I think by the fourth day, the guy asked me, he's like, so, so what do you do for fun? What do you do in your free time? I'm like, uh, here it goes. I'm like, well, you know, I go to church a lot. And I'm in school online. And I, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm happy. It's just funny because, you know, that first moment you're wondering what's going to happen. How are they going to react? What's he going to say? And I tell him, you know, I go to school. I do a lot of church, I read my Bible, and like to play guitar, I don't know, I, I don't know. Once you get out of high school, it's like, what do I do? I don't know. 
I work and come here. And I, I was kind of fearful of like, what is this person going to think of me? But why do I care? I don't even know this guy. I just started working with him. I mean, what does it matter that I'm going to skip out on earning rewards and pleasing my Lord and Savior by talking to this dude? I mean, what's the thought, right? We're talking about eternal rewards. Something that doesn't go away, right? But, but these carnal things we hold on to so tight and we don't want to let it go. We don't want to tell people the truth because we're fearful of what they're going to think of us. That's the hardest one is telling someone they're going to go to hell. Why do you think the churches are the way they are? Because no one's saying that anymore. Yeah, that's, right. that's the hardest one to tell someone. Anyone you like, you're going to go up to them and say, listen, you're going to hell. They're not going to like you. I don't care who they are. They're not going to like you. That is offensive. That is not PC. That is far from it. And that's the hardest one to do, but that's the best one. That's the one that we should do the most. I mean, who cares if I go and I read them a cute little Bible verse, some proverb, and I'm like, I hope your life's better. I hope you got some help from that wisdom. If they're still going to hell, what does it matter? Right? But that's one of the things that we count the cost on. And something that I like to look to and I like to read to encourage me in this, and I know it's not totally applicable, but it's martyrs. It's a lot of the people that die for the faith because that's a symbolism of what we should do every day. I mean, not everyone in here has had the honor or the privilege to be in a position where you're going to get killed for your faith if you don't deny Jesus Christ. That's okay. I know we all think, like, would I do it? Would I be able to do it? Lord, I don't know. I don't know. Can I do it? Yeah, I think I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. Back and forth all the time. But you haven't been put in that position. You're put in a way, I'm not going to say greater one, but a difficult one is to live for him. And living for him still means dying, but dying every day. And when we get into the Bible, we see this theme is concurrent, and it's counting the cost. It's the people in the Bible that are the greatest. They didn't count the cost of their actions. They didn't count the cost of what they were doing. I got a couple examples here. I want to start with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they're going to get cast into the fiery furnace, right? If you guys want to turn there, we can read this one. I won't make you turn all of them, but Daniel 3.16, I think this is a real good one to look at. And this one definitely gives me a lot of encouragement. I heard... I think two people at the Jubilee preached out of this one. But it's a great passage, and it's cool to hear it from so many perspectives. But King Agrippa is going to throw them in the fire, the furnace, if they don't bow down and worship the idol, the statue of him, worship their gods, take up all the stuff that they do, their culture and everything, right? Because they're Jews and they're worshiping their God. They choose to not worship what the king wants them to. And so it's as simple as bow down and worship and you will live. Don't bow down and worship, and you will go in the fire. I mean, it's a pretty simple math equation. And if you ask me, I probably would have been like, okay, I'll bow down. I mean, that's a hard way to go out right there. But what do they say? They say to the king in verse, sorry, chapter 3, verse 16, the end of it, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They didn't count the cost. The cost was their life, right? But they didn't count that cost. They said, well, if God, God gets us out of it, he does. And if he doesn't, he's still God, right? He's still God. They weren't counting the cost and the factor that they played in it. And they followed through, and we know from the story that 
There's another in the fire. He shows up. They don't burn. Even the guards taking him up there burn because it's that hot. But they don't burn. And we see, the son, we see the Son of Man. We see Jesus Christ in the fire with them. Right? And they get out, and what happens? The king recognizes their God has delivered them, just as they said. What a testimony. Right? For just living out their faith and being a pure testimony and following what Jesus Christ said and following what the Bible said and doing right. The next one we see in the same book, I'm not going to make you turn to it. We're just going to go through it. These are a couple, couple people of the faith that just really encouraged me in counting the cost is Daniel in the lion den. It's another one where he could have counted the cost and he could have just done whatever the king wanted him to do, but he was willing to die. He wasn't counting the cost. He wasn't worried about it because he knew that it was already all figured out. God had him. I mean, they can take this life, but they can't take the next. And he's serving the one that can. He's serving the one that guides you there. Another person we see in the Bible are the apostles when they're street preaching over in Acts 5. And this one always gives me some encouragement because I do rejoice when I get a little bit of flack for my faith because it reminds me that I'm doing the right thing. A verse that pulled me out of the contemporary church is, I think it's, I don't want to mess this up, 2 Timothy 3, 12, I might be wrong. Yea, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I remember reading that verse. Man, I don't suffer persecution. I mean, my life's a little hard because you you got trials and troubles and stuff, but I don't suffer persecution. So I must not be living godly. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I'm obviously not living godly. And that's when I realized that I'm counting the cost. I mean, I didn't understand, understand salvation. I wasn't preaching hellfire and brimstone. I wasn't telling people the truth. I wasn't willing to stand up for the Bible and defend the Bible. I was counting the cost of every action I had. Even when I learned about the King James Bible issue and going on and about doctrine and about all that stuff, I was still soft to get into it. And I'm like, people have a different Bible. They got the ESV or whatever, extra spiritual version. And they're like, they're like, hey man, nothing's wrong with this one. And I'd be like, yeah, okay. I don't know. I was scared to say anything. I was counting the cost. You know, I didn't want to start up a bunch of problems, but I'm holding back the truth when I don't want to do that, when I don't want to tell them. And we see over in Acts 5 that the disciples are preaching, probably yelling again, like I said, because that's what they did in the Bible. They street preached, and they yelled, and that's what the disciples are out there doing. They get taken before the council of the Jews, and they're beaten. They're beaten at the end. And what do they say? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They didn't count the cost. They rejoiced. They did the opposite. Why? Because God's grace is greater than any tribulation that you're going to go through in this life. The suffering's nothing. And we see in Ezekiel 14, 14, I already took note of Daniel, but God decides to call out three different men of the faith through your Bible who didn't count the cost. And they were fighting the three enemies, three of our enemies. The first being Noah, fighting the world. The next being Job, fighting the devil. And Daniel, fighting the flesh. Those are three men who stuck by God rather than turning to those three enemies of the faith. What an encouragement. I mean, they weren't counting the cost in any of that. And there's a reason that God called them out because every single one of them rejoiced 
that they were counted worthy to suffer for God. The same as those apostles did. I want to close out tonight with just two, two stories of some martyrs. The first one, uh, I got out of Fox's Book of Martyrs. I just remember when I heard this one, it just really stuck out to me. And it's the story of Peter and his crucifixion. Now, some people say they don't really know what happened, if this was it, but this was the account that was written in Fox's Book of Martyrs. And this was one that just stuck, struck a heartstring with me. And Peter catches wind that he is going to be put to death for his faith. So he decides to escape persecution after he's heard about this. I, I, I'm picturing in my head as I was hearing the story that it's late at night. Peter's making his way out of the gates of the town. Because at that time, the town was all gated in, right? And it says he makes it up to the front gate. And he's trying to leave because he can. He's, he's free. He's ready to go. No one was going after him. No one was in front of him. Nothing was stopping him. Right? So Jesus makes his way through the town. Jesus makes it up to the front gate and he's going to leave and he's not going to die. And what does he see? He sees Jesus Christ walking back towards him. And he said, Lord, whither dost thou go? Jesus Christ says, I am come again to be crucified. And he understood that he had to pay the price and that his Lord had compassion on him and understood that he was going to suffer that same thing that our Lord suffered. And what does he do? He turns around, walks back, says that he's not worthy to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus Christ was crucified, so he's crucified upside down. And he asked to be crucified upside down. He's a man that could have left, but he didn't count the cost. His life wasn't worth anything because Jesus Christ was worth more than his life. Another one that I suggest you all look up and you all read, this is one that I've read a bunch out of one of the martyr books I have. It's called Jesus Freaks. And this is a story of a young man named Ivan Moisev in 1970 in USSR, so Soviet Russia. And Russia at this time was a Soviet, or was a communist country. And something you need to know about communism is it wants to eliminate all religion. When you get into a communist society, that's one of the first things to go. I'm not going to get deep in all that because, whatever, you understand what I'm saying. And this young man, Ivan Moisev, I believe he got into the military when he was 18. Crazy testimony already in his life. He was hit by a car and was supposed to die, was like healed out of it, was brought up in the faith, baptized at 16, chose to follow Jesus on his own and saved. Awesome young man, and he joins the Soviet military and... He's witnessing to all these people around, the people in the barracks, the people out of the barracks, the generals, the captains, and people are getting saved. They're getting saved by this young man's testimony because they're seeing that he's living the life. I mean, he's walking the talk. He's not counting the cost. He doesn't, he's not worried about it. He's getting some flack. He's starting to get yelled at. He's getting punished a little bit. They'd flog him. But he's not counting the cost. And he continues to preach. And finally, the, the general commander... I don't know the proper title. I don't remember his name. Calls him down to the office. So Moisev on his way down to see his general looks up in the sky and he sees this bright figure above him. He says it's about 200, 300 yards away and it's just sitting up there in the sky. He doesn't know what it is. But it tells him, don't be afraid, I am with you. 
and it falls him, and he walks in the office, and he kind of forgets about it, kind of leaves his mind, goes in the office, and he sits down, and the general says, why aren't you submitting to the communist ideology? Why, why can't you give up this Jesus thing? You know it's not true. No preacher can prove that it's true. He said, well, no one can prove that it's true, but I know Jesus, and I talk with Jesus. He's like, so it doesn't matter what they say. It matters what I know. And i got to stand by the truth. And so his general tells him, okay, well, maybe we can change your mind. And what he tells him to do is stand outside for night watch in his shorts and his T-shirt, his summer uniform. And it's negative 15 degrees in Russia. It's the middle of the winter. He goes outside, and he's standing there in the night watch, and he thinks for the first hour, Cool, i got a lot of time. I can pray for all the guys in the barracks. I can pray for all the guys around, the general, the people that are sending me here. And he's standing out there, and about an hour, his brain starts to drift away. He goes from praying to singing hymns to nothing, to wondering what's going on. A couple hours pass, and one of the guards comes out. Big jacket. Are you ready to change your mind? No, sir. No, sir. I'm staying here. Somehow his toes are still working. His fingers are still working. If you've ever been out in that cold... After an hour, there's not a chance that your finger should move. There is not a chance. Right? And so finally, about 5 a.m., they come out and they bring him in. The next 12 days, he does the same exact thing every night. Same thing for 12 days. And he remembers that voice he heard that told him, I am with you, don't be afraid. And that little bit of encouragement is keeping him, keeping him on track, right? Keeping him living for God, keeping him doing what he knows is right. And I want to read out of the book the last letter he sent home to his parents. And it says, My, my dear parents, the Lord has showed the way to me, and I have decided to follow it. I will now have more severe and bigger battles than I have had till now, but I do not fear them. He goes before me. Do not grieve for me, my dear parents. It is because I love Jesus more than myself. I listen to him. Though my body does fear somewhat or does not wish to go through everything, I do this because I do not value my life as much as I value him. And I will not await my own will, but I will follow as the Lord leads. He says, go, and I go. Do not become grieved if this is your son's last letter. Because I myself, when I see and hear visions, hear how angels speak and see, and I, I am even amazed and cannot believe that Vanya, your son, talks with angels. He, Vanya has also had sins and failings, but through sufferings the Lord has wiped them away. And he does not live as he wishes himself, but as the Lord wishes. At the age of 20, Ivan knew that the communists would kill him. On July 11, 1972, he wrote to his parents, you will not see me anymore. He then described his visions to his parents. A few days later, his body was returned to his family. He had been stabbed six times around the heart. He had wounds on his head and around the mouth, and there were signs of beatings on the whole body, and he had finally been drowned to finish him off. Hearing these stories about these martyrs and someone like Ivan Moisev is something that makes me realize this is what Christ is looking for out of me, is just that little bit of faithfulness, and he'll do the rest. We, we know by the way that he was talking and writing to his parents that he didn't want to go through it. I mean, what part of you wants to go through something like that? 
I mean, we know that the flesh doesn't want to. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. We know the flesh doesn't want to go through that. But he didn't count the cost. I mean, Jesus Christ was more than anything he could gain in this life, even his own life, and keeping it. And so wrapping up tonight, I just want you to think about, are you counting the cost? Is that something you're thinking about every day? When you go to witness to someone, when you go to hand out a check, when you go to talk to someone, when you speak to someone, when you want to reach out to someone, when the Lord puts someone on your heart, are you counting the cost? Are you going to stand before Jesus and tell him anything that he told you to do was not worth it in this life? Are you going to stand before him and tell him that? Because there will be no excuse. But when we do stand before that throne, 1 Corinthians 3, there will be no excuse. And we will answer for, answer for every idle word. And so I just want us to evaluate our hearts, maybe this upcoming week. I'm glad pastor's returning. I can't wait to get some preaching. But I just want us to think about how are we living? Are we counting the cost? Are we dying every day? I just want to leave with, with that in our hearts and that in our minds. Jesse, you want to close us out in prayer?